How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer. I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Mm-hmm. Welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball. This is episode number thirty with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. On today's show, our throwback baseball stat of the week on August 12th, 1909, so over a century ago, pitcher Christy Mathewson pitched a four-hit complete game. He struck out five, allowed no walks, no runs. That pushed him at the time to 18-3. and three. He would finish the year for the New York Giants at 25-6 and six with a 1-1-4 ERA, .83 whip, but he tanked your K per nine, just a 4.1 K per nine, across 275 innings of work thoughts on Christy Matthewson. And what are you drinking today? Dust? Yeah. I mean, like if you have a 1.14 ERA and 0.83 whip, I, I don't care about the K per nine. I know he's hurting you a little bit there, but can you imagine having a pitcher that can get you 25 wins nowadays? Like that's <laughs> actually impossible. Also, I think the most underrated stat of all that, that you mentioned the 275 innings that just would not flow or, or go anymore in nowadays. So uh, kind of amazing that that's how it was back in the day. We always talk about this, those old timers, uh, what they were able to accomplish uh, compared to where we're at now, where a guy throws 100 pitches and he's out. Um, during this week, too, in fantasy, you're probably pretty annoyed because they're not even throwing that many pitches because of these, these rain delays that we're dealing with. So uh, kind of a rough week if you're a fantasy manager. And so because of that, uh, I have to sip on something. I'm not a huge fan of seltzer normally, but Somebody got me hooked on cacti agave spike seltzer. It's seven percent alcohol volume. This is a lime flavor, and uh, it's actually pretty solid. I, like I said, not a huge seltzer guy myself. You um, say but, that, but you've drank a lot of seltzers on this show, and I really haven't enjoyed many of them at all. And how so, do they find your way to your fridge? Do you have like the Island of Misfit seltzers? Is that like I do. Your fridge? I have the San Francisco Giants of seltzers, really. That's basically what I have. I, I usually have people come through from my uh, my work, and they, they end up bringing White Claws or any of this stuff, and I'm not a White Claw guy. I, I know there's no rules when you uh, drink the claws and stuff. There's no laws when you drink the claws. But uh, to me, this cacti is way better than White Claw. What about you? What are you drinking? Okay, so I have a – it's a Colorado craft brewery. It's called Prost Brewing. They started selling it at a local liquor store here. And Prost, if you're unaware what that means in German, it is cheers. Prost. I got, yeah, exactly. Prost. So we can cheers to each other there. Um, and I got like a variety pack at the liquor store today. So there's like a Oktoberfest in there. There's a Dunkel in there. I think it's Dunkel is the proper way to say it. Uh, this one is a Kolsch, 
which is a golden style ale. Okay. Nice crack. Prost. Prost to you. Yes, prost. That's very good. Very easy to drink beer. If you like a uh, Belgian style golden beer, it's basically like that. Refreshing, easy to drink, nice on a hot summer day. It's a Colorado beer? Yeah, it's a Colorado brewery, but I wonder if they have ties to Germany because it's it is a supposed to be a German brewing company. Okay. You know, the best beer that I think I've ever had that's a, a German beer was when I was at the Hofbrauhaus House in Germany. Uh, it's probably one of the coolest beer halls uh, I've ever seen in my entire life. And they give you these massive, massive pints. Uh, and it is just really a cool experience. So uh, I might need to try that beer right there and have to compare it to what I had at the, uh, the Hofbrauhaus. House. Can you name a German baseball player? Can I name a German baseball player? Wow, that one is one a... actively playing. I'll give you a list of. Well, I won't give you the list till you because maybe you'll you'll know one of these people. There's one active one, and there is another one which I'll give you. He wasn't born in Germany, but his parents were German immigrants. Wow, this is a this has got to be one of the toughest ones. Um, it's not the... a lot. It's you want me to give you a hint? I'm yeah, I need a hint. Okay, the hint for the active player, he is an outfielder who plays on the Minnesota Twins. Well, it's not Buxton. Is it? Right? Is it not Buxton? No, <laughs> it's not Byron Buxton. Okay. I, um, an outfielder on the Twins, Max Kepler? Yes, it is Max Kepler. He is really? Yes. Really? How yeah. did you just know this? Like, where did that come from? I just remembered when he made it to the major leagues and, like, hit his first home run, there was, like, some stat about that. The other's... Jeff Baker, former Colorado Rocky, didn't know him. It's my this brother. Is just like, I don't know if he was born there. There's just like a list of, they might have like German descent or something. This one is huh. the interesting one. Honus Wagner, the guy who is most famous for his like rich baseball card. baseball card. Yeah. He was born to German immigrants' parents. His name by his mother, he was actually Hans, but it later that, evolved into Honus. That is a really amazing stat i don't know how you just pulled that out right there i mean uh, if anybody's gonna do it it's you dj but still man i i didn't know Oz wagner was uh german i also didn't know max kepler was german and honestly i mean i guess i could see it but that was not gonna be my first guess that's for sure i also got one more trivia question for you that christy Matthewson <laughs> complete game guess how long the game took Probably one hour and 25 minutes. An hour and 31 minutes. I mean, you're Look right. Look at there. that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it, those games used to go so quickly. And it, it, I mean, I wonder, we need to look this up at some point, but the rule, the Bach, I wonder if that was in effect at that time, because they, I remember somebody had told me they moved so quickly that um, I wonder if it would be illegal uh, today with how quickly they went. Yeah, it's all quick pitching. So many, so many fun stats here early on in booze and baseball. All right, let's talk more stats, but with more context, let's get on to our fantasy mailbag. We'll also have a fun baseball beer pong conversation, and then we'll have our shotgun six pack. But in the fantasy ma- mailbag, first up, this is a question from me. Um, I, I wrote an article on justbaseball.com about Blake Snell and what to expect from him moving forward. Go check it out. Please give me a click and keep me employed over there. Um, what are your thoughts on Blake Snell moving forward for the rest of the season and uh, from a dynasty perspective? Well, he, he's a scary one to own, I tell you what. But then his most recent start against Arizona, you're like, okay, that's vintage Blake Snell, uh, 13 Ks in seven innings. Uh, granted, that is also Arizona. So 
And his next start, uh, at the time of recording, we're recording on August the 11th, uh, he will start again on the road against Arizona. So I wouldn't feel too bad about that one. The start before, though, probably a more telling start. It, it seems like another vintage Blake Snell stat line of five innings, six Ks. So can't ever seem to get through six innings, but um, can still get the strikeouts, still kind of can get the wins on top of that. I've always believed in Blake Snell. I felt like this laps with the Padres just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I thought it was going to be a better fit than anything else. I, I still think he's very much a keeper. Now his value for me, I mean, it, it's dropped off. Obviously it's kind of in the same realm for me as a guy like Luis Castillo, to be honest, um, just too much, it, too difficult for me to predict day in day out what the performance is going to be like, you know, that there's potential, you know, that they're, they got the name. Um, they've, they've shown that they've done this before. And Snell has shown from time to time that he can still be electric, right? And Luis Castillo, obviously, over recent starts, has been pretty dang good himself. Uh, but, you know, I think my perspective would be that Blake Snell's maybe a good buy low. Um, but in terms of if you're searching for a good, trustworthy keeper, he is definitely not a trustworthy one. He should be one of your back-end ones at best. It depends on how many uh, players you keep. In our standard fantasy leagues, we keep 20 players. So I would say in, in a 10-team, 20-keeper league, yeah, he is a keeper. He's a back-end one, though. He, he's not a top 15 like he's been up until this year. I'm really interested to see how that start the Diamondbacks goes because Diamondbacks have one of the worst producing offenses in the MLB. But also, Blake Snell has really struggled on the road. He's got over a 7 ERA on the road versus having really good numbers at home. So maybe he can correct some of that. When you look at his biggest issues this year, two things pop out beyond the home road splits. Um, he was throwing his changeup way too much. And actually in years past, the changeup has been like a viable pitch for him, but he's gotten less horizontal movement on it this year. And I don't know if it's that or if he's telling uh, somehow with the pitch, if somehow it's kind of pitch tipping, so to speak. Um, but this year, opponent batters have hit his changeup over 400 rate in terms of batting average. The slugging Brutal. percentage is over 600 against his changeup. And for a pitch that's going 15% of the time, it's not a primary, but that's enough where if you're using it that much with as much as opposing batters are raking it, um, you don't want to use it anymore. And the good news is it was a pitch that he didn't want to shake for whatever reason. I don't know if somebody got through to him or just constant struggles finally made him change something up the last two outings. He has thrown that change up. It combined two times between two games. So he's not using it as much. So that's a good sign moving forward. The other thing with Blake Snell that was causing issues was a really high walk rate higher than normal. And normally he's around 10, 11%. It's around 14%. And even in those last two games, it's around 12, 13%. That I don't think is going to change. So that limits the ceiling. I don't think you're going to get prime Cy Young Blake Snell. But when you look at his career splits, his best months have been in August and September. They've been below three career ERAs in those months. So I would actually be buying Blake Snell right now. I think he's a great buy low candidate. I think that in a dynasty league, if you buy low on him now, and then he has a really good September and August, then all of a sudden you're going to feel even better about his keeper value that you were kind of alluding to, because you're right right now, he is a low end keeper, but if you buy low and he has that strong finish to the season, you're going to feel a lot better about Blake Snell going into next season. Okay. Yeah, I like to, that take On to the next question. It is from Mike, which white Sox returning outfielder 
Luis Robert or Eloy Jimenez is going to have a bigger impact moving forward? This one could not be a more difficult question yeah. to answer. Oh my goodness. Um, I guess the first way to start this out is pretty simple. If stolen bases, I mean, most standard fantasy leagues has stolen bases as a category. So uh, if that's a, a check mark, then obviously Robert has an edge right there in that category. Overall, expect the power numbers to be in favor of Eloy. This guy has been an absolute tank over the last week. Um, usually guys don't respond all that well after being injured and coming off the IL. And, and, and Eloy has responded just fine. Uh, to me, I think that he could potentially be a top 10 guy uh, with the bat that he has. He's got straight pop. Um, he's He, he kind of has this build of being the next big thing. Uh, I could see him being a home run leader as well. When you look at the power numbers, it seems to favor Eloy. I, I think that the overall, you know, category leaders, you might want uh, Luis Robert if you're trying to get a guy that is five tool that can get you multiple. I mean, let's be honest. You can't go wrong either way. Both are incredibly young, incredibly talented. Uh, one projects to be like a Ronald Acuna Jr. And the other one projects to be like, I mean, any massive power hitter that we've seen, like a Vlad Guerrero Jr. I mean, like Eloy could be uh, the equivalent of what we're seeing from Vlad this year. And you could see Luis Robert become like what Acuna has been in the past. So it wouldn't shock me either way. I think that you're practically talking about two guys that could be top 10 talent potentially. Um, and, and to me, it's hard, but I'm going to go based off the fact that I like multi-category contributors and because I'm a little biased, I've always loved Luis Robert, even when he came up. And um, I, I saw a lot in him before he really got any national attention. And so I think part of it may be that I'm just rooting for him to, to succeed the way that I know he can. Uh, but I would just barely by a hair lean his way. But Eloy is, I mean, it, many people can make compelling arguments that they prefer Eloy either way. It, it, it makes sense either direction you go. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd lean Eloy. He is barreling the baseball right now. I know it's very small sample size at like 20%, but both players are going to be really good. And this might be something where it's just dependent on what you're looking for. Like if you need steals, you're going to get steals out of Luis Robert or Luis Robert more than Eloy Jimenez. So go with that. But overall, I kind of like Eloy a little bit more as a hitter. I think the average is going to be a little bit higher for him. Luis Robert might be more of kind of a boomer bust guy at the plate both of them strike out a lot neither one of them walks very much I just trust Eloy's bat skills a little bit more but I trust Luis Robert's speed skills a little bit more so it is kind of personal preference on what you want there but I do also like the fact that you know Luis Robert is going to be playing in the field and he's seems to be a pretty uh wild fielder not in the terms of being like a bad fielder but like he'll make crazy plays crash into walls and stuff and that might hurt the fantasy value just a little bit because you have to deal with a few more injuries. So I'll go with Eloy Jimenez. He might be playing DH a little bit more, and that might protect his long-term value a little bit better. This is a question from GJ. How close in value is Nicky Lopez to Whit Merrifield right now? I mean, I, I to me, it's not even close. <laughs> I mean, is this a question? I, I, I'm going to answer it accordingly. I'd rather take the name the the resume everything that Whit Merrifield offers I mean it's not like Nicky Lopez is particularly young he's 26 years old he he has never slugged anything past 350 which is what he's slugging now so you're getting no pop of that I know Wit's power numbers are definitely down this year and he is older that so maybe that's the one 
the one difference you're looking at there. And I assume GJ is a, a Royals fan. So that's part of uh, probably where this question came from. And yeah, Witt, Witt's slugging numbers are a career low um, at 386. He's still stealing bases at a pretty rapid rate. He's got 32 this year. Nicky Lopez with 10. Um, the opportunities are going to show up way more for Whit Merrifield. It's it's really not even close for me. It's you have an all star versus a guy that's not even fantasy relevant. So that's where I see that. All right, blind resume time. Nikki, well, I won't even do a blind resume because that doesn't work on a podcast. But Nikki Lopez is hitting 277. Whit Merrifield is hitting 268. Nicky Lopez, 348 on base percentage. Whit Merrifield, 314 on base percentage. Nicky Lopez, 350 slugging. Witt's got him there, but like you said, his slugging is even down. It's 386. OPS, Whit Merrifield, 700. Nicky Lopez, 698. Now, Whit Merrifield's going to get you more steals. He got caught stealing for the second time earlier today in the game against the Yankees, but he has 32 steals. He's leading the American League. Nicky Lopez has 10. So you're still getting some steals from Nicky Lopez, but it's not as much. The biggest difference really is just the Royals commitment to hitting Whit Merrifield at the top of the order, because he's going to get you more totals and he's going to get more chances to get runs and hits and plate appearances and steals than Nicky Lopez. But if that changes, which is definitely a possibility since the second half began, Whit Merrifield has a 597 OPS. Nicky Lopez has a 771 OPS. Nicky Lopez might be figuring things out and it's easy to see Nicky Lopez track record and go, you know, he wasn't good in 2019 or 2020, but guess what? Whit Merrifield didn't come up till he was 27 years old. Nicky Lopez is yeah, 26. True. So everything he's doing, if you compare it just career-wise, is a cherry on top. So no, I'm not going with Nicky Lopez over Whit Merrifield, but is the value actually kind of close? I think in a one-year league, it is. And I think in a dynasty league, you know, nobody's going to gonna keep Nicky Lopez. So that's pointless. But if you told me Nicky Lopez is a better fantasy player than Whit Merrifield in 2022, I would not be that surprised. I, I think it's an interesting point that you make the difference between a one year and a keeper. To be honest, I mean, Whit Merrifield's numbers, if, if you're an owner of Whit Merrifield, this is the time to dish him because he's one of those players that I like to call a name. And by what I mean by that, it's, it's a proven name, a name that people have drafted for years. Uh, I mean, probably the last three to four years, Whit Merrifield's been a top five round kind of guy. Uh, and so for the first time, we're really seeing some pretty drastic struggles from him. Uh, with that being said, <laughs> it's funny that we're comparing these two because obviously they are on the Royals and stuff. Uh, you know, keep in mind that Bobby Wood Jr. is going to end up taking those at-bats at the top of the lineup soon enough. Um, and that's going to completely revolutionize that lineup. Now, Nicky Lopez, for me, I, I just, part of me, I, I have an issue with guys that don't show any pop. He has no home runs this year. His slugging percentage is, is something I wouldn't even touch. So that's, that's my big issue. There's got to be better available players. So from a fantasy perspective, I would not touch Nicky Lopez. Uh, but as a real-life Kansas City Royals player, it's not the worst question in the world in that sense. Okay, this is a question from JD, who is one of our league members. And I'll be honest, like you said, the Eloy Lewis Robert one was really tough. This is, I, I've been wrapping my head around this for the last like 24 hours. I, I honestly don't know the answer, but we'll work through it here. Cedric Mullins or Christian Yelich in a dynasty league? Uh, yeah, this is brutal. I mean, most people hearing this that haven't paid attention this year are saying, okay, this is the stupidest question ever, but Yelich has been <laughs> terrible. I mean, Yelich has been borderline horrific. 
And I'm amazed. Okay. I, I was completely wrong. I completely missed the beat on Cedric Mullins. I have talked so negatively about him all year long. And this guy has just shut me up in terms of what he's been able to produce. The difference between these two is astronomical. Christian Yelich is one of those team killers. And Cedric Mullins is one of those sleeper guys that is literally going to be a league winner for most teams. Um, the amount of steals and the, the pop that Cedric Mullins has and the consistency that he's had is really remarkable at the top of the lineup. He's getting at bats. That's super crucial. Christian Yelich can't seem to stay healthy. He he has a lineup around him that's kind of inconsistent outside of Willie Adamas. It's just really difficult for me to see Yelich getting out of this hiccup. Now, this is a keeper league. And part of me wants to sit back and say, okay, maybe it's a one-year thing for Yelich. But we you got to kind of take a step back and realize he wasn't putting up phenomenal numbers last year either. So, I don't know. It's hard to buy Christian Yelich right now. Um, and, and kind of assume that he's got, you know, it under control last year, he had two Oh five and slugged four thirty, Uh, and so this year he's slugging even worse. He said he's hitting a, maybe a better comp is literally Christian Yelich to Nikki Lopez. I mean, he's hitting two twenty six. <laughs> His on base percentage is three seventy two, So he's getting on base. That's a good sign, but he's not hitting the ball. And maybe it's because pitchers have figured out that, they can just kind of pitch around him constantly in a lineup that's not that deep in Milwaukee. That could be part of it. The thing about the Orioles is, yeah, they're a terrible baseball team, but their lineup's really not that horrible at the top of the order. Uh, you see Anthony Santander start to figure things out a little bit. Trey Mancini is a decent staple in there. And so to have Cedric Mullins at the top of the lineup, he can be driven in. I, I kind of see potential there when Adley Rushman comes up too. That's going to eventually be a formidable lineup, I feel like, uh, and so Mullins is young. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of, am I crazy to say I'd rather have Mullins in a keeper league than Yelich? Am I crazy? No, I, I don't think you are. Like I, I came into this question like, okay, I, I almost wanted to like convince myself to go with Christian Yelich, but I, I don't know. I can't get off of the fact of how bad he has been. And like this, this stretches back to last year with last year, not a full season so far. He hasn't done a full season this year, but if you combine the two, then you basically have a full season of work. And like on one hand, he's still just 29. He'll turn 30 soon. Most primes for baseball hitters can be 32. Maybe some guys 34, but I think the biggest question mark with Christian Yelich is the injury concerns. We've seen him, you know, get injured. I think it was like a patella or something like that in 2019 that caused him to miss the end of the season and the final stretch of games. We saw him get injured a little bit last year. He's been injured this year between knee injuries to back injuries. And we know back injuries don't go away. I'm kind of leading Christian Mullins. But again, like it's just the part of you that it's only been two years since Christian Yelich was one of the best hitters in all of baseball. And if you're just talking about like walk rate and on base percentage, you're going to get more from Christian Yelich. So you have that there. I know right now Cedric Mullins is sticking around with Christian Yelich as far as power and actually like outdoing him. Like he has 20 home runs so far this season. And so far Christian Yelich only has six, but I think that's more of a contact thing than anything. I think, you know, rest of the season or long-term you expect Yelich to have more power, more home runs than Cedric Mullins and have a better on base percentage, but you expect better average from Cedric Mullins. You expect maybe more doubles, maybe more runs getting to hit at the top of the order. You expect a, a better steal number from Cedric Mullins. But there's also a part of me that wants to sit here and say, okay, well, 
uh, Christian Yelich, he's now hitting at the top of the order for the Brewers. So is this just them trying to figure something out? Or is this them saying, no, like we still know Christian Yelich is really good. And do we take those signs from the team? And then you have the fact that Christian Yelich has just been striking out so much and whiffing so much. And he's not swinging at the first pitch nearly as much. Is that a product of pitchers found out he was swinging at the first pitch 30% of the time and are saying, hey, we're just going to give you other stuff and there goes your advantage there? Or is there something that he can correct there? There's so many questions here. And then you add in the fact that I, I just don't really understand uh, Cedric Mullen's value, to be completely honest. Like that's, that's probably the biggest part here because you're talking about a guy who his minor league career, in his minor league career, he hit, 265 with a 323 on base percentage and a 426 slugging. That is his minor leagues career. Right now, he has a 320 average. He almost has as good of an average in the MLB as his career minor league on base percentage. He's slugging an insane amount. And there is obvious changes that have been made. He's gone to being only a left-handed hitter. This makes it different because he was a switch hitter before. When he was a switch hitter, his MLB career, he was hitting 147 against left-handed pitching as a right-hander this year as a left-hander against left-handed pitching he's hitting 324 that doesn't seem sustainable to me I get it you're going to be better against lefties than you were before but 324 as a lefty on lefty I don't know if I buy that for his career 284 against righties he's at 318 this year you look at the BABIP he's got a 362 BABIP this year for his career He's at uh, 321. Even when you look at in the minors, it's not that high. Now, a guy who has that much speed, he's going to be good to go on his Babbitt because you're going to beat out some infield singles when it's not hit as hard. But even 362 seems a little high. So I think it's just trying to diagnose what Cedric Mullins is. Like over the course of the regular season, what do you actually expect? Because this is the height of Cedric Mullins. Yeah. What this- you, like what do you think his, his actual normal season looks like? Is it like a 280 guy? Well, a good comp to me with this with Cedric Mullins here in 2021, go back to 2019, Cattell Marte. They're kind of in the same age range. Okay, Cedric Mullins is 26. He's going to turn 27 this year. Cattell Marte was the same situation, 25 to 26. Uh, Marte, for those that forgot, hit 32 home runs that year. Now, he did only steal 10 bases, which in my head, I thought Marte stole a lot more before I looked at that. Um, but they're both kind of similar players came out on the scene, uh, kind of underrated, poor teams, uh, random production, not a lot of fantasy value initially, and really difficult to buy. Uh, Cattell Marte kind of fell flat on his face the year after uh, he hit 287, but his slugging went down significantly after that. So we, we've seen the league catch up to guys like this that kind of pop out out of the blue that um, show that they're five category contributors and uh, maybe a random you know, jump in production power wise is something that you kind of have a difficulty maybe believing is true. And for me, I, I kind of do feel that with Cedric Mullins. I feel like it's more of a one year wonder kind of situation, but I also don't sit here and say, Oh man, he he's done after this year. I kind of see him in that same ballpark as where we see Cattell Marte, um, a guy that's going to be a top 80 player, you know, top 75, 80 uh, he'll get picked in some later rounds, somebody's going to be really upset with him next year. That he's not going to put up the numbers that he put up this year. Fantasy owners are going to be really upset that the value dropped off. When in reality, we should expect a significant drop off in the coming years. There's just nothing like you had mentioned that really backs up Cedric Mullins long-term being this good. And so, yeah, I haven't believed in him before, 
And I'm going to say that I believe in him a little more now, but I just don't see him being, you know, I mean, right now he's a top 10 player mm-hmm. in fantasy baseball. He's a top team 10 player. And that's just not ever going to right. last. I think I could see him being a top 100 player that I could see a borderline top 100 uh, as a keeper next year. That's kind of where I assess his value, throw him in a slot similar to where Cattell Marte is on my list. That's kind of how I value him. Yeah, and I was looking at some dynasty fantasy rankings. He was around that 80 mark, so right where you're saying. And again, like if you go to his baseball savant page, based on his some of his numbers, like his expected batting average is 284, which tells you he's still really good, but that's obviously a pretty big drop-off from 320. So I think you're right. I think if we view this as, let's say Cedric Mullins is a top 75, 80, 100 player and in dynasty terms and for next year what is Christian Yelich? And that is obviously a huge mystery. So realistically, I think it's all about, do you want to take the risk? Because I don't think we're ever going to see this again from Cedric Mullins. So there's a chance, if you make the trade, you're probably losing a guy who is going to have good value, but not superstar value to where you might be able to make up the margins on him elsewhere. But with Christian Yelich, there's a chance that you get that superstar and you're sitting there going, I can't believe I got this great move. I can't believe everybody was so low on him because he was just playing through injury. And who knows, maybe next year after an offseason, he'll be back to normal health and he'll be back to regular Christian Yelich. But on the flip side, if Christian Yelich keeps doing this and the injuries never get better, you're going to sit there going, yeah, I mean, Cedric Mullins is a semi-replaceable player. Like, it's not like I traded away Mike Trout for him. But also, I can't believe that I took aboard that risk. So it's really about risk management, I feel like. It's tough. It, it, that, that's one of the hardest questions we've had to deal with on this show, I feel like. Yeah. Okay. I needed another drink after that one. Okay. Uh, Blake <laughs> asked this trade. Who won this trade in a point system? Cedric Mullins, again, coming up. <laughs> and Josh Hader for Chris Bryant and Tyler Malley. <laughs> And this, this one's pretty brutal too. I'm going to have to go with the one that gets me more reliable and, and that's going to be Bryant and Mally. Um, I, I like how Mally projects moving forward. He's had some recently pretty decent starts. Uh, Chris Bryant. I loved the fit when he moved to the giants. Um, obviously that's not necessarily a guarantee that that's where he ends up next year uh, for a points league keeper wise or one year. I don't think it really matters for me either way. I'm going to take, uh, you know, there, there's a missing hole, in my opinion, and really good starting pitching. And while I'm not going to sit here and say Mally is obviously like an elite pitcher by any means, he's he's good enough to where I can actually trust him to, to you know, produce on a regular scale, get me quality starts. Um, and then Chris Bryan on top of that, I know his production dropped off a little bit with the Cubs. Uh, we're kind of seeing it come back again with the Giants. Uh, you know, Mally, what I like the most about him is the fact that he strikes out a lot of guys. He gets a lot of swings and misses and uh, he's going to get wins too with the Reds. So uh, to me with Josh Hader, they always have used him in kind of a really random role. Um, sometimes he closes, sometimes he's thrown in the high leverage situation. It can be a little scary at times, get you losses you don't deserve. He blows a save. Uh, and then, you know, between Bryant and Mullins, it's tough for me. In a one year, it's really tough for me in that that respect because I'm basically looking at it head to head right here. Uh, but I, I've got to just go with the guy that I trust more, and that's Brian. Yeah. So I mean, without knowing your scoring setting, like I'm in a points league, but it's it might be completely different to what yours is. In my points league, I found that relievers have less value. I mean, they're just ranked lower. So I would think the Chris Bryant, Tyler Malley one would 
be better, especially because Chris Bryant, you're going to get first base, third base, and outfield eligibility, whereas with Mullins, you're getting outfield. Um, so I would probably lean that way. And in my points league, Mullins is ranked lower than in like a roto league. Um, so yeah, I like that one a little bit better. But also, you know, I think this is just probably a good opportunity to point out that multiple people can win a trade, right? Like if you if you're both accomplishing what you need then boom, there's the goal. Now, obviously in a points league, this isn't about categories where you could say, well, if you needed steals, you got Cedric Mullins because it's all just worth points. But maybe one of the, the managers needed, you know, a reliever. Maybe they didn't have uh, in that RP spot somebody good. So they got Josh Hader and the other team needed a starting pitcher, right? Then maybe both people won there with uh, this trade. But uh, yeah, I'd probably lean toward the Chris Bryant, Tyler Malley one. But honestly, this seems like a pretty fair deal. It's a good deal. It's a really good offer both ways. And as Derek mentioned, I mean, if, if it works, if you need a reliever, if you, you need to fill a role, obviously haters going to get the job. If you're short on starting pitching, Mally's going to get the job done between Mullins and Bryant's I'm going to stick with Bryant. So that's kind of where my decision lied was really between the two of those. I'm going to go with the guy I trust a little more. Okay. This one's from Ben. Why does my three player bench always out hit my team uh, starting lineup? <laughs> I'm going to take a drink on that one. That's, that's my favorite question that we've been asked. Uh, you know, Ben, first of all, of a complaint I, than a question, but I love it anyway. <laughs> I, I can relate to this way too much. I, I have a problem with my team. I, I made a trade recently where I just dumped off a bunch of players that I started to get annoyed with, whether they were hurt, whether they weren't producing well, it could be any of the above. Abraham Toro somehow has been my most productive player on a team that has, you know, Nolan Arenado and Rafael Devers and, and, and Jose Ramirez. So, you know, it's crazy what happens week to week. I think the big thing that you have to trust is that I believe in the law of averages and uh, that's a real thing uh, in baseball. And so if your guys are slumping, don't, don't be like me because I like to sell my guys off at their lowest and I like to buy at their highest. That's my biggest issue always in fantasy baseball. I do it constantly. <laughs> I do it all the time. Don't do that. Don't be like me. Have some patience, sit back, learn from my mistakes, Ben, learn from my mistakes. Um, and know that Abraham Toro will probably not be owned by most teams in, in a league in a month from now. Uh, so plan accordingly with that as well. Okay, so this is where I would just say trust the process. Um, you, you kind of want your bench players, at least this is how I approach it. I usually have like a deep hitting bench. I like having that normally um, just to spin to different matchups or when there's off days to, to catch up in at-bats or, or trump people in at-bats because it can maybe help you in some of the totals. You kind of have to deal with that sometimes if you have that bench. So try not to focus on it. Try not to, you know, you just deal with it. If it happens, it happens because it's going to happen. And you're going to focus on the negatives. You're going to focus on the days where your starting lineup does bad and the bench does really well. And the starting lineup might outproduce your bench, you know, four out of five days. But the one day that the bench outproduces the, the starting lineup, you're going to focus on that. It's just, it's just natural to think that way. Trust the process. If your bench guys are doing well, that either means that maybe you should reevaluate how you plan on the matchups, or it could also mean, you know, if the bench guys do well, then you have extra trade chips. And like I said, just don't focus on it as much. Just get the best players you can accumulate talent and then work from there. Uh, this is our last question from John is Trey Turner, who has been playing a lot of second base for the LA Dodgers. And I'm, I'm sure soon is going to have second base eligibility. Is he the officially the best keeper second baseman in baseball? 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you're getting the stolen bases, the average, the power. Trey Turner, in general, is just a great keeper to have. I, I mean, he's a top 10 player. But the fact now that he can play second base, a position that honestly has been relatively weak. Uh, if you look across the board right now at some guys that he'd be going up against for that top spot, you're talking about Marcus Semyon, who has had a phenomenal year. Uh, it's hard to read how long he can keep this kind of season up. Granted, he was an MVP candidate just a couple of years ago. So I, I kind of buy Marcus Semyon. I don't take him, obviously, over Trey Turner, though. Chris Taylor is at a breakout year. He's mm. older, though. He's on the older side of things. We don't know if he's going to play with the Dodgers next year. He'll be a free agent. Could be an interesting one to monitor. Trey Turner is still better. Uh, Max Muncy, he's going to probably lose his second base eligibility next year. Uh, he hasn't played enough second base for that. He's going to obviously not factor in regardless. Trey Turner is a more valuable player. Jose Altuve has been phenomenal, but not power numbers-wise similar enough uh, for Trey Turner's side. I think Altuve has the lead over there with 25 bombs, which is crazy. Uh, so, yeah, Altuve has the home run lead, but the stolen bases are where he's really lacking, and Trey Turner balances that out beautifully. He has the average lead there, too. I still take Trey Turner any day. That's probably Turner's biggest competition at second base. Long-term, the biggest competition at second base is probably Ozzie Albies. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that that – that potential that Albies has to be a top second baseman is still very much there. Um, but yeah, Trey Turner's at the top for me. Uh, poor fantasy owners that own Mookie Betts because they were, I believe, one game away from him getting second base eligibility. And now not only does he move to the outfield, but now he's out and hurt with a back injury or not back, a hip injury. And he could be out for the rest of the year. So not only were you close enough to getting Mookie to be your second baseman on your fantasy team, uh, and that could have possibly changed my answer. Uh, Mookie and Trey Turner head to head. That's it's pretty dang close. Um, but now Mookie could potentially be out for a very extended period of time. So yeah, Trey Turner is number one for me on this. I agree. He's number one. If you're like a tanking team, then maybe you think longer term and Ozzy Albies is like three and a half years younger than Trey Turner. So if you're in last place and probably going to be in last place next year, maybe you go with that instead. But yeah, Trey Turner is really, really good. So yes, he is the top keeper for second baseman okay the next segment we got is our baseball beer pong dusty you came up with this it's going to be interesting it's going to be unique it's going to be creative that's what we thrive on here at booze and baseball so why don't you describe what we're doing here well part of our mailbag uh, as we reached out to people one person had just simply asked me you know what beer pong or drinking games do you guys play and can you talk about one and you know derek and i <laughs> the funny thing is uh our favorite game collectively, I speak on our behalf, is we play baseball beer pong. Mm -hmm. That's actually the game that we play. And so, have a lot of people. It, it, you have to have quite a few. Usually, I would recommend what, what would you say, Derek? Eight to 10 people at least? Yeah, yeah. Eight to 10. Usually, it doesn't really function that well with less than eight people. Um, you can make it work, but it's not as fun. Anyways, uh, we wanted to explain this game and then relate it kind of to fantasy as well. Um, the big thing is this. Baseball beer pong, you set it up similar to that of beer pong. So instead of having 10 cups on either side like you do in a normal standard beer pong game, you only have four on either side, okay? And they're stacked in a straight line. The reason behind that is you hit the front cup, which is in the straight line. That is a single. You hit the second cup, that's a double. Triple is the third. Home runs the fourth. Pretty simple, right? Well, then the difference is that you add flip cup to the game too. So... While you have four cups on either side of the table stacked in a line in a row, on the opposite sides of the table, you have three cups facing both directions. 
These three cups are the bases. Okay, you have first base, second base, and third base. The goal is if you get a single or double or triple, you go onto one of these bases. But the fun part is flip cup happens if you want to steal, which who doesn't want to steal nowadays? We've been talking about Trey Turner and Cedric Mullins. I feel like 90% of this podcast, those two love to steal more than anybody else in baseball right now. Why would you not want to in beer pong? So if you want to steal in this game, you must do it before the final out is recorded, before the final shot of that out is recorded, and you must drink your beer and then beat the opponent in flip cup. You can't, you don't have to tell them. If you are going, you just go on a whim. The opponent is on the opposite base, opposite side of the table, and they must follow suit. If they see you trying to do flip cup, then they have to follow, and they have to beat you in flip cup. Um, And at the end of the day, it's whoever scores the most runs and probably who is uh, less buzzed or drunk in the process. And uh, Derek, did I explain that well? Do you think there's any added element people need to know? No, I think you explained it very well, um, which is why we're going to look at some of the individuals who are doing best in each of the different categories, your best single hitters, double hitter, triples, home runs, steel, steel leaders. Because when you're playing this game, you know, it's like you're playing backyard football. You're going to have two captains. They're going to draft the team. So uh, what we're going to do is look at the guys who are best at each individual skill, right? Yes, we are. And so we're going to go just down the line. As of right now, the day of recording, August the 11th, we're going to go through the list of the players that are leading the league right now in their respective stats. So you're going to be a little amazed, I think, at least by what you hear from triples. We're going to start, though. Derek, I will start with singles. And so with singles, you know, in this beer pong game, these are the guys that go out there. All they're trying to do is get their team aboard. They're trying to kind of lead it off for the other guys to follow through and and hit the game-winning double, triple home run. Doesn't matter in beer pong. In real life right now, our singles leaders from the top, Adam Frazier, who is now a San Diego Padre, has 139 hits. David Fletcher has 134 with the Angels. Oh, guess what? That name came up again. It's Cedric Mullins has 134 as well. Bobas Shett of the Toronto Blue Jays has 130. And guess what? Another familiar name, Trey Turner, has 129. But what's better than single, Derek? Double. What's double? <laughs> uh, with doubles, you got Marcus Simeon who is one ahead of Jesse Winker and Ozzy Albies. Nick Castellanos has 30. Xander Bogarts also has 30. By the way, I'm just going to – this is the San, Cedric Mullen show, right? It really is. This is the Cedric Mullen show. And, and Trey Turner is basically a uh, an, an honorary guest, if you will, mm-hmm. is okay. what I would say. So as far as going through these, because for triples, I'll let you do that here in a second. I, I think we should, you know, each go through all the different categories and – if you had to pick one of them and we'll say this is just a one-year thing because you know baseball beer pong isn't a long-term game it's not a league it's a one-year thing so we're going to approach this from a one-year fantasy league not a dynasty thing and you tell me which of the players from each of the different categories you think you would take the rest of the season in fantasy baseball yeah in the singles category i mean for the rest of the season I, I I mean, Trey Turner has got to be the obvious choice, right? He's going to get you home runs, singles. We, we've, we've covered him enough. Um, you're basically battling in that singles category between Turner, Bichette, and Mullins, and I'm just going to roll with Turner. Bichette and Mullins, though, I mean, for this particular one season, neither are bad options, but I'm going to go with Turner. What about you? Okay, well, I'll just be different. Like, Trey Turner is the answer here, but if this was hypothetically like a draft, then I would go with Bo Bichette as the other one from this category here. Bo Bichette's been awesome 
for Toronto so far this season. And you look at some of his numbers, he's 96 percentile max exit velocity. And you continue to go down the line. He's got really good numbers. Um, everything that he's doing seems to be very sustainable. He's got over an 800 OPS so far. Even the slugging percentage, it looks like something that could maybe even go up for him. The strikeout rate isn't insanely high. You wish that he walked a little bit more, but I really like Bo Bichette and the fact that he gets so many singles on a team that scores a lot of runs. And now that George Springer's back, they're going to score even more runs through the rest of the season. Bo Bichette would be my other one there. Uh, doubles. Our, what for is our doubles, our doubles is a little difficult to be mm -hmm. honest with you because we're talking a one-year league um you have five great choices right there at the end of the day i i think i gotta go with the guy that i trust across the board right now which is jesse winker um jesse winker's power numbers his average uh, the fact that he's ranking among the best in doubles right now he kind of it contributes in almost every category this is probably the hardest one on the list that we're going to show you uh well Maybe, maybe the home runs is going to be pretty <laughs> difficult too. But uh, yeah, I think I, just by a very slight edge, I like Jesse Winker. I think I agree with you. I've always been a big Jesse Winker guy because every time you look at his baseball savant page, it just screams red for everything except for defense and running ability. But I don't care about the defense. This is fantasy baseball, <laughs> right? So he is going to be a little bit of a liability if we're playing baseball beer pong in terms of um, allowing steals on flip cup on the defensive side. But you love his offense. I'll give somebody else again just for the sake of it. I was going to go Xander Bogarts, but he kind of had a weird – I mean, he didn't get pulled from the game, but had like kind of a wrist injury, which has been a problem before. So I don't want to do that. Um, Nick Castellanos has had a really good season, and I, I think it would just be fun if we get – you know, if we're having opposite teams and I have one red on one team and you have Jesse Winker on the other. I like that. Castellanos would have been my second pick in that group as well. When you go to third base, where, where we go to triples, I should say, this is the one, Derek, that just blew my freaking mind, okay? I'm going to read off the third place group first because they all tied with five triples. That is Ozzy Albies, Willie Castro, Jake Cronenworth, Garrett Hampson, Nicky Lopez, who yeah. also has made an appearance in the show a lot, Shohei Otani, and Ahmed Rosario. They've all tied for third. Okay, Derek, first and second place. Would you believe if I said in second place, Akil Badu with six triples is in second? And in first place, the one that just blew my mind. I, I thought it was on the wrong link from like three or four years ago. It's David Peralta of the Diamondbacks. He has seven triples this year. Uh, we do not play, by the way, in a triples league. So that's part of the reason why this is a bit of a shocker for us was to look at that. Uh, but wow, Derek, uh, looking at this group, I mean, if I'm talking about a guy that I want to hold on to the rest of the year, it's, it's David Peralta, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I got to say probably from this group, I mean, Shohei Otani is the obvious answer um, for everybody. So outside of that, I really do like Jake Cronenworth. I think Cronenworth's value is pretty incredible with the, what the Padres have to offer. I know that Adam Frazier hasn't been necessarily producing the way that they had hoped. And so Cronenworth has been getting a lot of plate appearances in the heart of the lineup. Uh, he's going to continue to score runs and it looks like Tatis jr. Is going to come back. So with that in mind, Cronenworth is going to be a key asset to get, you know, base hits. He's going to get clearly more triples, uh, doubles, anything like that on base is going to be the key with him. And he's going to score a ton of runs. So I like Cronenworth in that situation. Uh, 
Hmm. See, this is interesting because it should be Shohei Otani, but he's really struggled so far in the second half. He's hitting 218 in the second half, which funny enough, he still has an 806 OPS despite hitting 218 in the second half. But over the last 14 games, he's hitting 179 with a 706 OPS. That scares me a little bit. Um, I don't know. I guess if this is just a one-year league, give me Ozzy Albies. I love Ozzy Albies the way he's been on. And by the way, we mentioned Nicky Lopez again. So I guess this is now the Cedric Lopez or Cedric Mullins and Nicky Lopez show. Actually, that yeah, I said it right. It's the Cedric Lopez show. With Trey Turner as a guest. Yes. <laughs> Derek, you can take it away with the home runs because I know you're a big home run guy. All right. Shohei has the lead, 37. Vladdy with 35. Fernando Tatis with 31. Salvador Perez with 29. Then you got Rafael Devers and Matt Olson each tied for fifth with 28 of them. As I just mentioned with Otani. Not going to pick him there. Tatis, you have the injury worries. Perez is a catcher, and he doesn't walk, although he had two walks for the first time in like 1,500 days since 2017 uh, on, I think, Tuesday. Matt Olson is actually – would give me a run for the money on this, but I would go with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the, the pretty obvious answer for me in this list. I, I am concerned about Otani and Tatis Jr., uh, and uh, you mentioned it just briefly there. Matt Olson has been unbelievable this year. Uh, this isn't a keeper league. This is a one-year league. I kind of want Matt Olson out of that group right there. Uh, if I'm not getting Vlad Guerrero Jr. I feel like Matt Olson and Cody Bellinger are so similar with their swings. They're like these high looping swings, but for whatever reason, Matt Olson has been able to make it work this year and Cody Bellinger has not. It's almost like they traded places. You had Cody Bellinger two years ago as the MVP. Matt Olson last year hit like below the Mendoza line. And then they just kind of did like a freaky Friday switch. Matt Olson has one of the most pure, beautiful swings through the zone. He stays through the zone as well as any player I've ever seen, which honestly I think cost him the home run derby because he's very deliberate. I, I don't know if you've noticed. I, I've never used that word for a hitter because usually you hear deliberate to be with a pitcher, but there's something to be said about like this nice like flow that Olson has where he, he doesn't rush through his swing. It's just calm. And then all of a sudden, when it comes time to launch, I mean, he blasts off. And I mean, the guy has hit so well this year. He is a slugging percentage of 576, uh, has 28 bombs tied with Rafael Devers, who also on that list was pretty tempting to take. I, I think anybody on that list was tempting. Um, but Olsen has just been such a reliable mainstay throughout this entire year. He gets on base, 379 on base percentage. A great fantasy pickup if you've had him. And that is a phenomenal keeper as well. He's still relatively young. Uh, I, I love this guy. And you mentioned Cody Bellinger in that mix. The big difference is Bellinger is pretty much an all or nothing swing. It's it's a high launch angle. Matt Olson's is a pretty significant launch angle, but he also doesn't start as high and go as low. Bellinger's is a very risky uh, all or nothing swing, which is what's kind of crazy. But you're right. They're very comparable in terms of what kind of production they've had. And also they do have some of the weirdest stances I've ever seen in my life. Both of them do. I think Matt Olson's is peaceful. Uh, Cody Bellinger's makes me kind of want to jump off a cliff. <laughs> Last one we've got here is stolen bases. Whit Merrifield, 33. Starling Marte is above the 30 club as well. And then everybody else below that. Fernando Tatis, 23. Trey Turner, 22. Cedric Mullins. There you are again at 21. Well, we, we kind of gone through the list of Tatis, Trey Turner, Mullins. I mean, you know what, Derek? <laughs> Why don't we just agree that we both want Trey Turner and Cedric Mullins at this point? Tatis Jr.'s hurt. We'll take him if he's healthy. But Trey Turner and Cedric Mullins just are the obvious choices for me here. 
Yeah, I'd probably still – yeah, it's straight Turner and Fernando Tatis for me. But I'll just go with Cedric Mullins. I need steals currently in our fantasy league because I traded away with Merrifield. So Cedric Mullins will be my pick on this there one. There you go. Okay, last segment of the day, shotgun six-pack. This is our speed round. Quick answers here. Number one, college football realignment is currently going on with Texas and Oklahoma headed to the SEC. If you could move around any MLB teams between divisions to different leagues, what would you do? Yeah, I'm super passionate about this. I, I would, number one, want expansion, but if I can't expand and I just straight up have to move a team, I'm probably going to be moving the Oakland Athletics if I can. I know their fan base is very passionate, but I would love to move the Oakland Athletics down to Las Vegas, or I would love to take the Tampa Bay Rays and move them to a place like Charlotte, I feel like, or Nashville. Any of those places would be great. Um, that Those are the places baseball should be happening. So you approached this differently than I did. I was just moving teams into different divisions or leagues. I want to oh. swap Tampa Bay with Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia Ooh. fits in with, you know, New York and Boston in the NL East. Tampa Bay doesn't really fit in as well. It's not just a geographical thing. What which, about Pittsburgh? Um, nah, Pirates aren't good <laughs> enough. Um, <laughs> but Tampa Bay, I think, would fit in in the, uh, in the NL East as well. Just, I don't know. It just feels like that's a good fit. And then the other one I would do, I would move Seattle to the NL West. I think it'd be like San Francisco and Seattle. I don't know. It feels like that's a, that's a natural um kind of pair of teams there and we move either Colorado or Arizona to the AL West because you already have like Houston and Texas there and the Rangers the Colorado yeah. or Arizona would be closer playing to those teams than maybe going up to like San Francisco for instance I feel like the Rockies and the Diamondbacks would beg to get out of the NL West, NL West right now because they have no shot for years to even compete in that so I think that you're probably speaking music to the uh, Rockies and Diamondbacks ears right now with that yeah, so Rockies for Seattle. There we go. All right, number two, <laughs> true or false? The Boston Red Sox are done. False. Uh, I trust that they have the lineup that's, you know, able to compete and rebound from this. I know they've really struggled, um, but Chris Sale's coming back. And, uh, you know, Chris Sale answers every problem in the world, right? He's going to be <laughs> our next president of the United States. Um, I was actually there to see Chris Sale get the final out against my Dodgers in 2018. Uh, that guy is as good as anybody when he's healthy and we don't know what he's going to be like when he comes back. But if it's even just a, a minor image of what, what we have seen from him in the past, I mean, the Red Sox, that, that should be enough motivation to say, all right, let's pick up the scraps. Let's get back going. They're still in the heart of this race. They're, they're not screwed. False. Yeah, I, I don't think they are either. So I'll say false, but I do think things are trending in the wrong direction enough to say, you know, right now the Rays are winning the division. I would not give the Red Sox the best odds of being, you know, the first wild card team of if somebody from that division makes it to the wild card. Yankees are gaining; they're hot right now. Red Sox have lost two of their last ten games. You know what's funny? Toronto has a plus one twenty four run differential. Right. Boston is plus twenty nine. If you add the Yankees and Boston's run differential together and double it, it's still below what Toronto's is. So I like Toronto going forward, especially with Jose Barrios now in tow. I agree. Chris Sale being back will definitely help them. But if he's on an inning restriction and he's only able to give them four, five, six innings for at least the next month or so, then that limits the impact as well. So Red Sox, no, they can still make the playoffs. They're still in the playoff race. They're still in the heart of it. But to me, I kind of think the Yankees or the Blue Jays, I'm kind of a prisoner of the moment there and think that they're tracking the right way. Keep in mind, keep in mind, Kyle Schwarber 
was an acquisition for Boston that has yet to make his debut. Yeah. I'm curious to see what they look like once he returns to the lineup. Okay, number three, the Field of Dreams game is, I guess, depending when you're listening to this, today, it's August 12th. Uh, what's your favorite baseball movie? Yeah, this is a brutal one. I mean, there, <laughs> there are so many great ones out there, but um, I, I mean, you could go with Rookie of the Year, probably for me. I, I loved Rookie of the Year. Um, you have a, a kid manager. It's pretty, pretty cool idea. Uh, manages the Twins, uh, or the Cubs, I should say, uh, and uh, has to deal with the press and uh, what, what it looks like from a manager's perspective. I loved that movie. I thought it was phenomenal. What about you? I would either go with Moneyball or Major League. You get the comedy aspect of it with Major League. Moneyball is just a really good movie. So I'd go with one of those two. Number like four, it. Brandon Belt's explosion at the plate is blank. Uh, shocking. Uh, I don't understand it. You know, I back in the day, I would always compare Brandon Belt, v- vintage early young Brandon Belt to James Loney, who <laughs> one is in the league and one is cooking barbecue somewhere in Texas. So um, I can't believe that Brandon Belt is, you know, putting up these kind of numbers that he has. It's shocking, really. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He was never a guy who was putting up a huge home run total, but he was always good on base percentage. He's been a big controversial figure for Giants fans for a while because he would have these, like, it, it was the adage of, hey, this guy's only hitting – you know, 240, 250, he's not doing well. And he strikes out too much with runners in scoring position because it's full count and he's taking the pitch. So you'd have that section of fans. You have the other section of fans. It's like, no, look what he does. He's so underrated. He has a 360 on base percentage and he's doing this or that. And he's playing good defense. And he was, it, it was called the belt wars is what it was called. But over the last two years, there's been no wars. Cause last year he was really good over a thousand OPS this year, over 900 OPS. And the way that he's come back off the IL is really good to see. He's always been a streaky hitter who typically he'll have like a couple weeks where he'll carry your team. And then he'll have a couple weeks where he just strikes out on every inside fastball. Um, but he's kind of moved forward and gotten more consistency. And yeah, uh, Brandon Belt's explosion at the plate is wonderful to me because I'm a Giants fan. <laughs> uh, the impact that COVID-19 could have on the playoffs is blank for number five. I'm going to use my uh, former coworker, Mary Margaret's uh, saying here, big yike, single <laughs> yike, single yike. I, it scares me a lot. I mean, imagine making it to the world series. And then, I mean, we saw it last year, Justin Turner got yanked out of game six in the eighth inning. Like it, who knows what this could end up doing to a team. That's a competitor. You've seen Garrett Cole out. You've seen, uh, I think recently it was, Christian Yelich out Trey Turner was traded to the Dodgers he couldn't even play with them for another week because he had COVID so yeah it, it's frightening it's scary it's a big yike for me yeah I was gonna go with frightening just because who knows what's gonna happen like it felt like we got all through this and now numbers are rising so much I'm just hopeful that we get through these sports seasons with football and baseball the playoffs and everything untouched and that we don't have to worry about any you know big quarantines or um, that teams end up losing their spot because certain players can't play and whatnot. It's it's definitely frightening for what it could mean for the sports landscape moving forward if the numbers don't start to dip back down. Number six, is it a foregone conclusion anymore that the NL West gets both wild cards? Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, you still have to wait and see what happens here with Fernando Tatis Jr. Who knows if he has a setback? Who knows if they bring him back and – he then has problems once again and is out for the year. I mean, 
I would say it's far from that because the Cincinnati Reds have proven they are a significant contender here. Uh, obviously, the NL East is a crapshoot of uh, a bunch of teams that don't know what they're doing. Derek did say that the Philadelphia Phillies, though, in our last show are World Series contenders. So, um, you know, obviously interested to see what happens with them. But I will say the Cincinnati Reds are going to be, I think, the reason why that answer is a no for me. Um, I, it would not shock me if we end up seeing the playoffs where the wild card matchup is the Dodgers versus the Reds or the Giants versus the Reds. So I remember in 2010, Giants were six and a half back of the Padres for the NL West division lead on, I want to say like August 25th, 26th, something like that. And they ended up winning the division over the Padres. So I wouldn't totally discount the Braves being seven back of the Padres for the second wild card, the Mets being eight back. It might be a little much, but who knows if you shave it down to, five or four by the end of August. And then you make a run in September. It can happen. Cincinnati, like you said, that's the one to watch. They're four and a half back of the Padres. So no, I don't think it is a guarantee, especially when you look at with the Padres, Dodgers and giants having to play each other a bunch, who knows what happens if you just get cold for a week. And because you're playing against another really good team, you get swept. And all of a sudden the other team, the Reds sweep, I don't know, the pirates or something who they're getting to play another game and a half back. So it's definitely uh, not a foregone conclusion. The Reds are scary. That is a scary team, a scary lineup. They could show up any day. And and as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Luis Castillo on a, on any given day, that guy can go out. He can either get blown up or he could shut you down. And they have the potential. They could bring up Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, who are killing it in the minors, whether it's bringing them up for uh, something in the bullpen or, I don't know, starting. That would be very interesting to me. Lodolo, TCU. Gotta love it. <laughs> Great comment there. All right. Closing time here. Subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Audible. Follow us on social media at Booze and Baseball. And reach out to our email at boozeandbaseball@gmail.com. You can suggest any alcohol to review, or if you have any questions for a fantasy mailbag, you can reach us either way. Thanks to the Mix Kit for the stock music. Thank you to Man Cave Merch for the coasters. Again, we've not only got our Dodgers and Giants Man Cave Merch coasters, we've got our Booze and Baseball coasters with the awesome logo. Check them out. It's perfect for a gift for somebody. It's perfect for you. If you'd like to purchase a coaster, use code BNB15. That's BNB15 to get 15% off your order with Man Cave Merch. Drink pretty significant price right there. We like that. We like that. Absolutely. So use a coaster, drink responsibly, and have a good one. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Later.